now listening to the Film Monsters Podcast with me and Ray. <laughs> well, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Film Monsters Podcast where you can see Ray and I's beautiful faces again. And I'm Nate. And, and I'm Ray. And, and this is Kermit. It's Kermit! So, Ray, are you excited about today's episode? I'm so pumped. I And uh, what a lot of people know after and, doing our interview with John, we've already done this interview. <laughs> it was like, it has nothing to do with the fact that we already did the interview. Yes, nothing at all. Uh, so uh, Ray and I got the opportunity to speak to the Adams Family Film Group. Um, we got to talk to uh, Toby Poser and John Adams about their most recent film, Hellbender. And we kind of talked a little bit about their history and film, but what a wonderful conversation. It was phenomenal. I I feel like every time we have these, like I walk away, you know, I already come into the interview enjoying the film, but I walk away having greater insight of the filming. I'm like, oh, that's freaking cool. I'm excited for to now revisit those films with the new insights that we gain. And similarly to talking to John about his film, you can just see the passion. Like it just, in every way they speak about, even like the little details, like you'll hear them talk about a story about picking a location to film one day and just hearing those stories are so cool. And they, it's like what you said, Ray, it makes me appreciate the the film even more. Also like, I mean, I'm excited for people to hear this interview just as a little teaser, you get to hear about a little prank they pulled on their daughter. Yes, which was <laughs> wonderful. Um, but they were so great. They, uh, they had a wonderful time and they, uh, want to come back on to talk about their next movie when whenever that is released and i will be very excited for that very excited for sure so without further ado here's here's john and toby well hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the film monsters podcast i am nate and i'm ray and we are joined by two special guests today would you guys like to introduce yourselves sure hey i'm toby and i'm john and we're uh 25% and 25% of the Adams family. <laughs> and that's so that's so awesome. And we're so happy to have you guys on. I we talked a little bit about it just a minute ago, but I first found out about you guys through Hellbender, uh, because I'm a huge fan of Shudder. I feel like they're such amazing people that really give creators a great platform to showcase their material. And I remember watching you guys' movie the first time and just thinking, like, this is such a unique strange abstract idea that's executed in a way that like it felt only like something you could come up with in your brain so seeing it on screen was so cool and so getting to reach out to you guys and talk about this i'm really excited about so thank you so much for coming on guys thank you nate thanks ray uh yeah this is fun yeah this so is fun. i i remember for for me we did an episode um when we were just starting out the podcast about movies that involve music like not scores but actual like performance and nate brought up hellbender and nate and i are both music guys so we we love weird music so when nate kind of mentioned the concept of hellbender i'm like sludgy like metal and i'm in i'm <laughs> so in <laughs> sludgy metal i'm in too that sounds fucking great it sounds like something i want to eat 
Yes. <laughs> so I kind of want to start off the interview, and I'm sure you guys get this question all the time, but this is clearly a family affair. So I know that you guys all have your personal backgrounds, but like, did did this whole idea of making movies as a family, like, is that what got you into wanting to do this? Or did you all just have an individual passion for film as a whole before that idea stemmed? No, we, we all... Uh, to the four of us wanted to make a movie together we basically we had run out of money we were living in california we kind of run out of money run out of uh look like employment and stuff like that and uh the kids had been talking about being actresses toby wanted to toby was an actress and felt like she wanted more roles and stuff like that i had just been on a kind of reality tv show that had gotten canceled it, it sounds like life was not going well but it was going great we just <laughs> weren't like like having any success and so we um we all together were like do you guys want to make a movie you know it's kind of, i don't even remember whose idea it was uh but we all were like yeah let's 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 try to make a movie together and and we did we we, we made a movie we we lived in a trailer and traveled around the u.s and made a movie and learned how to edit learn how to score. Uh, I don't know whether we learned how to act, <laughs> but we tried and, and then we, we fell in love with it. That's su that's such an awesome story to hear because it's like I was saying before we started, like I can really feel that in the movies you guys make. And I, I guess I want to transition and talking about that family element is you guys are typically all credited as directors when you make the film. So like when I was in film school, when I would direct a project telling someone like, hey, you did that wrong or you screwed that up can be a difficult thing. So when you guys have a vision for a film and you're like shooting a scene, is there times where like Toby, like you'll say, I really don't like the way that that scene <laughs> looked, but John's like, I think that's fine. And you guys have to kind of come together collectively and say, we need to do that again or we can keep it. All the time, which <laughs> is why we're super democratic. Like yeah. we just do it three different ways. Um, and if Lulu's around, our older daughter who plays Amber in Hellbender, then she, and she'll um, put, we might do it four different ways. Um, we, because we have the time and luxury to do it until we feel like we get it right. And, um, and then once we're editing, the right way, whatever serves the story best will kind of rise to the top. Yeah, I've noticed I've noticed that before too in my own projects is like you can do something six or seven ways. And when you're behind that computer screen doing the editing element, you just feel what is going to be the right take. I 100% understand that. Um, and with, with Hellbender, I think it's interesting because I was reading online and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong that it says a lot of the dialogue is improvised. Yeah, that's with all of our movies. That's super cool. And is that just like, so when you guys come together to make these ideas, do you come up with a concept and then you just say, okay, we're going to go into it with this idea and just see how these things play out scene by scene? A lot of the time, yeah, exactly that. I mean, sometimes we know something very specific is important for the story or something we've done or will be doing. So we might come in with a template that we want to try to at least jump off from. We rarely stick to it because once we're doing it, we realize, oh, this is how it's meant to be done. Or it will it will present itself during the doing of it, like what the scene is actually about. So again, it's kind of super, um, it's, it's a real collaboration. And it's what's fun about working that way is it feels very alive. You know, you're kind of making those discoveries while it's happening um, is fun and it always, sometimes it takes the, the film in a completely different direction. And it's just like, and especially when the, the people 
like, let's say I'm writing something for Zelda. She's going to know much better how something, how good something will sound through out of her mouth than I will. So mm -hmm. she'll always chew it up and then spit it out the way she wants to. And it's always better. That's such a cool thing. And, and Ray and I actually were talking about it before we started recording with you, which is interesting. Hellbender has so much lore to it. I feel like that whether it, it, there's no like exposition dump of this is this is and this yeah. is this, but we were both talking about how like between the foods that you eat and like the scenes with like the key coming through the hand and all that, is that things that you're just like, wow, that'd look cool if it was in the movie or like, do you have a couple of those ideas beforehand and you say, how can I fit that piece together in the overall film? Both. It was really important to us that we had our own myth. And since we have time, our, we come up with our myths intellectually. Toby comes up with a lot of the intellectual stuff. I think visually, mythology is important to me. So, uh, and, and for Zelda 2, Zelda's really visual. And so those things, again, like Toby kind of said before, they come organically, like the pine cones. I remember we, we were trying to figure out what they eat. We, we talked a lot about what they ate. They were going to eat babies and stuff, like... There was a lot of different shit that they were going to eat. And finally, it came down to a choice about cinematography and also how completely fucking awesome it would be if they ate something that we all looked at and found no value in it. And for them, it was complete nutritional value. And and then cinematography wise, it looked so gorgeous. So we, I remember we I remember the day we shot that. All three of us went out to the woods. It was like, go out to the woods. I'll meet you, everybody. Let's just meet back up in a half an hour. Grab a bunch of shit that you think will look good on a plate. <laughs> and everybody brought a bunch of crap back and we put it back on a plate. And we took stuff off. We put stuff on. And, and the things that looked beautiful together ended up on that plate. And it worked That's really amazing. well. <laughs> it worked really well because in contrast later on in the film when you guys are throwing a finger on the plate, yeah. it really kind of messes it up and makes it look really disgusting. Which is great. Uh, no, that's so that's so cool how that comes about just naturally. And I I, I noticed online it said you guys shot this during COVID. Um, so did you find challenges on, because I know most of it was a family affair, but all of the other actors that were in the film, was it kind of difficult to find people that were willing to work in that environment uh, when that was going on? Because was it more in the peak of COVID or like uh, where things were getting a little looser. It was lucky because the scene that has the most people, which is the prologue with the women hanging the other, the um, OG kind of hellbender, uh, that was, I think, two days before the lockdown. Oh, so wow. Right before we everyone realized, oh, this is some serious shit. Mm -hmm. And it was before we had to ask anyone, wear a mask or don't be next to each other. It was just very lucky. Um, what was also lucky was we had a different idea of what this story was going to be before COVID happened. And in the end, we had to really temper that story and, and kind of boil it down to um, what it ended up being, which was a much more intimate tale than it was going to be. And that was a good thing. I mean, COVID isn't good, but the fact that we did not make this big production was good because I don't think it, it would have had the soul that... Um, the movie we made had and and so it, it just kind of brought us down to our roots it was intimate um and felt very personal and and yeah then we and then we traveled around and so with lulu it's funny with lulu so lulu was living in the northwest and we since it, zelda was doing remote schooling we took off that year to school in in an rv again once again we hit the road in an rv 
And we got to work with her and we tried to social distance with her in some of the shooting, which was pretty funny. <laughs> like the scene at the pool where Zelda's character, Izzy, moves the chair away from her. Zelda's like, none of us can. That was improvised in the moment and it was so- Because Zelda was super hardcore. Uh, I'm not getting COVID. And so like when Lulu pulled up her chair next to her and we were filming, Zelda was like, nope, nope. And so I had to follow her, you know, it was like really funny. And the two of them said those lines just out of, they just said those lines and they were amazing. The Which timing. works perfectly. Yeah. yeah, it works perfectly with the concept that she's sick, that she's not able to get yeah. people. Well, without a doubt. And I mean, there, you know, COVID was on our minds. So, I mean, it seeped into the storyline. I mean, mm -hmm. there was no doubt. We just didn't want to make a COVID movie because right. you know, COVID will be gone one day and nobody wants to look back on it. You know what I mean? Right. And so we didn't so, want to get pinned down to that time, you know? Something that I wanted to bring up, um, talking about like the lore behind the film, and I'm actually mind blown that so much was improvised. A lot of those scenes where you're teaching Izzy about, uh, you know, nature and how to blend herbs and the... Is that like research that you you did? Is that something that that you have grown up with? Like I was, it's just so impressive because it it felt so genuine. Like like if you didn't tell me that was a movie, I'd be like, oh, that's gospel. Like that's what you do when you're in the wilderness. That's so cool. Yeah. That, you just like you just made my day. <laughs> week. Um, no, that was stuff that. Um, you know, we live in the in a very rural area. We're surrounded by woods, and so nature is a big part of our everyday reality. Um, you know, death and and rebirth and all the seasons. I mean, we're super aware of all that stuff. So, in the case of those scenes, there was some thought put behind it, and it was kind of a real joyful process trying to think of what their witchcraft was based on. And I always like to say that we just kind of reached into our very primitive five-year-old minds because children have no, there's nothing um, getting in the way of their imagination and they can, they can play with anything, you know? And so I thought, well, let's just kind of really make this, this witchcraft very rudimentary and raw and let's use nature itself. And then there's a little science, like with with um, spores that mushrooms give off. There was, you know, there's logic behind all of the witchcraft, but it's pretty simple childlike logic. And it was fun as hell. That's so cool. That's so cool because, you know, you think of witchcraft, you think, oh, evil witchcraft, but you're putting such innocent spin to it that makes it so fascinating. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. <clears throat> Yeah, we definitely didn't want to make, well, we didn't want to make a, a witch movie. Like we, mm -hmm. we, try, that's why we've invented something called Hellbender because it was mm -hmm. kind of like, like we love witch movies, nothing against it. But it was like, when we talked about it, we all agreed that to make a witch movie, you're locked down to so many um, tropes in a mm -hmm. sense, pointy hats, black stuff, warts, you know, just lots of things um, that we were like, let's, 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 let's be kind of witches, but let's make them different so that they can have their own mythology. And then we can follow our own set of rules. And that was fun. You know, that was really fun. And Toby was great at that. Toby was great at that. And the other thing that was important to us was that, like their prayer or that they always say like summer, I mean, you know, winter eats fall, fall eats summer, summer eats spring. It's like, we wanted to show that like in Western philosophy or Western thinking, you always move one direction. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to show that 
they move the other direction. Like their whole direction goes way back to their 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 crazy magic DNA because that's what this story was about. Do you know? It was about like this young kid reaching back into her genealogy for her power. And so we wanted people to kind of have like that fun. It's kind of like a koan. I know I'm getting a little, I sound like I'm getting heady, but I'm no. Kind of, no, no, no. But it's like, there's something, there was something fun and people seem to enjoy that. And we really enjoyed that. And um, it was cool. The, the whole mythology thing is something that's fun. Like in all of our films, we, we kind of feel like something's missing if we're not devising our own mythology. You know, it's, it's like a really fun goal in pretty much all of our films. That's such an awesome thing. And I wanted to say, John, I thought it was interesting what you were saying, because like one of the things I really took away, obviously I watched uh, The Deeper You Dig. And I what I think is interesting about you guys' films is they're also rooted in family. And so you were talking about this family in Hellbender that is like, they're going backwards and looking at, you know, the way things were. But at the end of the day, the film to me is like the cyclical nature of not wanting to be your parent, but somehow oh. becoming your parent. So like oh, I'm watching God. it and I'm like, you're having two themes of like, okay, they want to go this direction, but they're also just moving the same way, which I think is cool because you guys are clearly a close family. But between those two films that I've seen, you're exploring something so much deeper in connection when it comes to a mother and daughter, especially in those two films. I'm so glad that you're grooving on that stuff. I mean, we're so glad because that's exactly, look, we're a family. It's best to make art about things you know. And it's also best, I think, to make art about things you really feel a close connection to. So, so family, I mean, we just love our family. We love being a family. And, and that's what brings the horror into it is like, we do, luckily our little family units, one that is happy and we do get along and that's why we can explore horror because to think about that getting split up or the terrible things that could happen to it and that's horror and so that's kind of what we explore in movies in the deep you dig we explore the mother having a child ripped away from her and how what kind of depths would she go to reestablish that connection and that's what was so fun about that in in hellbender it's like you know, a, a completely different kind of exploration of the daughter and the mother and them splitting apart and how will they like keep that love open between each other, even though it's so dangerous for them. Like ultimately there's no way that they can keep that love because something terrible is coming or they have to figure it out philosophically, yeah. which is really crazy. Now it's we got crazy. another movie that we just made called um, Where the Devil Roams. That's like, I would say that, well, at least in my feeling, but always fresh art is always really, yeah. it's like the coup de gras of our family <laughs> uh, trilogy. Like we think of these as a trilogy and the, the latest one that we did is definitely the kind of the crown on the trilogy. And all four of us play really heavy roles in it. And it is about a family that is uh, basically really splitting to pieces. And because our family is splitting to pieces. Our two girls are growing up into women. They're gonna go have their own families. They, they've, one lives in Korea now, one lives in New York City. Toby and I are off doing our thing. And it's like, um, you know, this is a family splitting up, a family that really loves each other. And, they, and, and psychologically, it's really fun uh, and cinematically to make a movie about it. And in fact, Zelda wrote the latest movie about it. Oh, cool. So it's, it's cool. So there you go, family. There there's a couple of things that on the topic of family 
I just thought it was really fascinating that, um, like Nate was mentioning, you have the the character of the mother desperately not wanting Izzy to grow up to be like her mother because she describes her mother as a monster. So she's showing Izzy witchcraft through a beautiful lens, mm -hmm. you know, the, the mixture of herbs and how this could be a beautiful thing and your relationship with nature. But then you go back to the cyclical thing where Izzy for all intents and purposes is morphing more into the figure of her mother, which was more evil, which did more, more evil things. According to the mother, I thought that was super fascinating because it, it does speak to familial relationships of how we don't want to be like our parents, but we end up being more like them than we think about. Um, that was one thing that stood out. And the other thing that stood out to me that I wanted to point out, um, we had the, the opportunity to interview a different director a couple of weeks ago and we touch base on originality and a genre that feels like has been beaten to death mm -hmm. and the fact that you're still able to make a witchcraft movie that for all intents and purposes we've had witchcraft movies since since the beginning you know you have a hexen you know <laughs> a long time ago but you're still taking an original spin on a concept that has been done so much it's really cool to see that horror is alive and well and still has original stories to tell. That's oh, thank you. Huge compliment. Thank you so yeah. much. Last year in particular, I think, was a great year for horror. There was mm. so much. 2022, I don't know, maybe coming out of COVID, people were like, I am just like busting with you know, <laughs> energy. I have got to make something great. And they did. I thought last year was just like bonkers good. The fact yeah, we Ty West. Watched a movie last night called Bone Woman. Did you see that? I know. I want to see that. I yeah. want to see that. That's fucking original. And the fact Ty West put out two movies in yeah. the same year that are just so <laughs> incredible. It's it's yeah. the creativity is insane. But I think what you were speaking on earlier, when it comes from a personal place and there's something there, you're gonna feel that freshness and that originality because people that are putting that in, like the per the director we spoke to before, wrote his film on a very personal place. And I feel like when you're doing that, those films will come across as original. What was who was the director? Can I ask? Yeah, we talked to Jonathan Cortas, who made My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, which is also oh. on Shudder. Oh, I love that film. Oh, it's my so God. so good. Great film. And then, that was that was what we pointed out, that he made a vampire movie with, with heart. <laughs> yes. So it's like, now we have a witchcraft movie that has a familial beating heart, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That film. And yeah, and the, that the family, that was a real intimate film as well. Oh, my God. That was a good one. Yeah, oh he's... He's such a great guy. Um, but I did want to mention, because John, you talked about it a couple of times. I'm a huge cinematography nerd. And I wanted to ask, like, because I've seen two of your films and the cinematography in both is breathtaking. I think that you do oh. such a great job of really focusing on things in the frame that are all important to the story that moves the narrative along. And what I wanted to ask is, do you do a lot of storyboarding or do you feel like a lot of it comes natural to when you guys are filming that you're just like, this will look good in this spot? We picture, I think... Um, you know, Zelda does a lot of cinematography too. Both of us picture a lot of things in our brains, but no storyboarding. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I mean, what's really nice is we don't have a crew. We yeah. don't have a schedule. So what we do have is a camera and then we have either an interior environment like this house or outside. And so we spent a lot of time setting the camera up though or sitting around waiting or like we we like to shoot in flat light so if the sun's out we all wait yeah and so basically um it's more about 
this is going to again sound a little cheesy, but it really <laughs> feels more like what wants to be filmed reveals itself mm -hmm. and we wait for it. And we're very lucky that we're allowed the time to wait to film what wants to be filmed. And it works to in your advantage. I was thinking today because I was watching a couple of scenes again before we started, but like in the deeper you dig and in Hellbender, some of the scenes that really like shoot out to me visually are like in Hellbender when they're in that void area and just the way the light is coming off their faces and how they're in this black emptiness. And then in the deeper you dig, Toby, when your character is doing that seance and just the way that light casts in, I feel like that's such a visually striking image of the face that like when I think of your movies, there's so many shots that come to mind, which is why I really wanted to talk about it because it, it's clear that there's, you guys do have the time and that you really focus on putting the best looking image that you can on the screen that's cool you nailed two fun images i believe one is an exterior image and the other one is uh interior image with a construction light mm -hmm. and again that's like us having the time we shot that scene with her doing the seance in a barn mm -hmm. and uh we just have one little construction light with an wow. 80 watt bulb and you know it was like the classic old <laughs> You know, think does it look good here, straight or up? And as soon as we put it up, it was like, oh my god! Now you now, oh my god, it's so great! And like that was really fun. Um, like you know, like I thought one of the fun cinematography scenes of um, like Hellbender is where the mother's having a dream and she looks and she sees her daughter disappear in like her yes. daughter turns to dust and it's like this. And what was cool about that was we were on a hike uh, up in the green green mountains or white mountains of New Hampshire. And we always bring our camera and we had a uh, black out like black material that we always brought with us too, just in case nature was like, Hey, film me. And we had our shit with us. We were on this hike and these beautiful clouds rolled in a little snowstorm happened. And it was just like, Oh my God, we didn't even know. Like when we left for the hike, we didn't know what we were going to film. We just had the camera and we had to come up with, a story on the spot because nature looked so cool. And we were like, okay, okay, what can we do? What can we do? Let's let's do this. It'd be a great metaphor for her losing her daughter. And that all happened while the snow was blowing and the wind was blowing and the sun was setting. And it looks to me so beautiful. And mm -hmm. it's like, what's so fun about that is in a sense, a really big production crew can't necessarily do that unless they spend the money to hire someone to do all that for them so it's it's really neat to be able to like watch nature say hey i want to act today <laughs> hearing like, this great great we got our shit with us quick <laughs> hearing those stories that it's so cool to put that into the film because there's so many striking images and knowing that that came out of that scenario is so cool um, but we do want to bring up because like ray and i said we're huge music fans how the music played into Hellbender because the songs get stuck in my head consistently. I know it was pressed on vinyl recently, which we're both huge vinyl nerds, if you can't tell from Ray's backdrop. But uh, <laughs> the music just fits so perfectly in. And I love that in the movie where the mother and daughter's relationship is seemingly kind of all over the place, that music is what brings the two of them together. And it's such a beautiful part of the film. And so I wanted to know, like, did you always have the idea of music playing such a heavy role into this film? Or is that something that just came along while you were making it? Yeah, I mean, music is, and in, in the case of Hellbender, the, actually music came before the film because nice. our band Hellbender, but the Easer Sixes, mm -hmm. um, predated the film. And we actually had this song, Black mm -hmm. Sky, 
that we started shooting a music video for. And it was during the shooting of that video that all this, this witchy theme just kept like smacking us in the face, you know, crooked trees and little fun um, ways that John was shooting it and mistakes that ended up being like great discoveries that were used not as mistakes, but as, um, you know, devices dream devices within Hellbender. So um, yeah, music. And then John's always writing music and and we love singing on it. And yeah, music was. Also, we have a lot of fun together as a band. And so uh, one of the things, since you've seen The Deeper Your Dig, you'll understand this. The Deeper Your Dig's a pretty brutal movie. Like mm -hmm. it's not like, it's funny to us, like, but it's not very funny like to other people necessarily. It's pretty brutal yeah. and and kind of cold. And one of the things that we wanted to definitely do with our next movie is like, let's make sure that there's a, a huge dose of fun in it. Yeah. And so what better way to do that than to bring music into it? Because music is always fun. And music also impresses an emotion on the viewer. Like, mm -hmm. so whatever they're watching, depending on what the music sounds like, it makes the viewer feel a certain way. So we just thought it was a great way to keep the movie fun. And plus the girls have a lot of fun together when we're doing music. So it just naturally kept that good positive energy flowing through the movie. And not to talk too much, but within all those <laughs> songs, they all have very important lyrics. So rather than have some big ass narrative dump or have to act for 10 minutes to explain something, we could put the point in a song and in 30 seconds, the audience, if they're listening, gets to kind of catch up to where they need to be in the narrative. That's so awesome. There, there is a couple of things actually that I did notice about that, that now that you're mentioning. Um, two things that stood out to me. The first one is more of a, of a visual thing is um, uh, like like we said, we're big music nerds. And every time there were those dream sequences when the mother was having these like dream sequences, I almost got like a vibe of like a music video out of like a black metal song <laughs> or something like that, uh, which I thought was cool because it evoked, you know, a really strong feeling like you mentioned. But another thing that I noticed, and I don't know if this was done on purpose or it was just happenstance, throughout the movie, you see Izzy's character change. You know, she goes from being this kind of shy girl to eventually embracing who she is. And every time they perform, her makeup evolves a little bit. She at first has only tears, then she has the star. And then by the end, she's in full on like corpse pain with the crown. Mm -hmm. Like she's fully embraced who she is. And I thought that was really fascinating that her character is progressing through the lyrics and through the makeup while she performs. I thought that was really cool. That's the truth. Yep. Awesome. And that was important <laughs> to us. Uh, Zelda and Toby did that makeup for that exact reason. So that by the end, Zelda's the queen of the tribe. And the mothers yes. too, like she starts out, I think with like exes. I mean, mm -hmm. she's just, you know, and then she's like a bandit, you know, and then in the end, she's got the arrow and she's like basically going, her 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 wish to keep her daughter, you know, away from her heritage is going south. And she herself has to reconcile that she comes from below as well. Sometimes. Also, did you guys find that crown or did you make it? Because it is so cool. It's so cool. No, we made it. We love That's doing fun. props. Props are so fun. Props also are a big part of cinematography. Like right now we're making props for a movie that we don't even know what it's about yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's Life's awesome fucking crazy our house is it's like we got all these skeletons and masks and all this insane shit that's going around and still i'm like i wonder what this is gonna be about you know <laughs> and to go back to the deep you dig i i showed john this awesome full deer carcass well yeah with hellbender too you know there's we found that full deer carcass in hellbender but we use a lot of roadkill in the deep you yeah. dig and this is deer carcass wedged up on the on the riverbank right now and every day the eagles pick it more clean so i think john's gonna go like collect it pretty soon i gotta go i gotta go unfortunately yeah i gotta it's get huge. it tonight it's still a little, I, I have to, i'm gonna have to dismember it a little more because the eagles are only eating like through the rib cage and through the spine but they're leaving like the head and the haunch so it's like oh. i'm gonna have to separate the two grab that rib cage and off i go that's also for our next movie that is awesome and speaking of your next movie so i saw the announcement for it a few weeks ago and i i'm so excited about it do you guys want to talk a little bit or give a little bit of info or background as to what's going on in it because i've read the general premise and i was like well with how hellbender was i'm so excited to see what you come up with visually and because of the setting and the environment of that movie oh yeah so where the devil roams is uh, takes place in the Great Depression. And uh, it's about a family of um, sideshow performers on a very dusty, dying carnival circuit. Um, and when, when the family falls to pieces, literally, it's up to their daughter, Eve, to uh, pick up the pieces. And there's a great mythology that goes under it too. Um, and yeah, it's about a family on the carnival circuit and they and they have unfortunate compulsions. And uh, it's Bonnie and Clyde meets Frankenstein with the the kind of beauty of the grapes of wrath. I love that. Nice. <laughs> I'm super excited, especially with you talking about like production elements. That has to be something you guys could have gotten really playful with production wise. You got that right. And our, again, like, you know, we always team up with our friend, Trey Lindsay. He's like our fifth family member and he does all of our special effects. And in this, and you know, look, we all read our, we all read the reviews that we get and we read the criticisms and we read the, we read it all. And so we know where we might be lacking. We know where we might be growing. He does too. And we all, I have to say that what Trey did with, um, where the devil roams the the stuff that he did to make our movie this beautiful poem is i can't wait for people to see it for his artistry he he did some art that is just to me like kind of breathtaking and i know it's our, our movie so i should be careful talking about our own movie. but yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about his art yeah. his art in the movie is exceptional that's really exciting. I'm super excited to see it. And I do want to talk about correlated to your new movie, but also with Hellbender. Obviously, you guys have been working on your own movies for a really long time. We talked to John about this similarly. Did the partnership for Hellbender with Shudder just kind of happen in a really, like to him, he was like, I didn't even realize it was happening. But there's such a cool platform that Ray and I both love a lot. And we think it's so cool that we found a lot of directors that we really adore on that platform. And so I feel like for you guys' movie, it works so perfectly. So I just wanted to kind of hear how that all came about. Let's just say this. As, as the way you feel about Shudder being this really great company that um, puts up great movies, that's the way we feel about working with them. Mm -hmm. They have been so nice to us. They watch the movie, and it, I think the movie's like an hour uh, and 20 
seven minutes or something like that. And they called an hour and 27 minutes later and like, we would love to have it. And that's that's, that you, you, that means so much to someone who's just spent a year and a half making a movie that somebody reaches out like that. And they talk to us like the family that we are. And they have been nothing but absolutely terrific people. It's so, that's so cool to hear because it's it's funny that you said that because I felt the same way when I watched your movie the first time was like I was like uh, have you seen this movie please watch it and it was great to see Shutter promote it so heavily because they yeah. get so many really unique films that it's it's cool that they've built such a huge base and then with like their original programming and things and so I just think it's fascinating to hear how those relationships come about because it's giving these horror directors that may not ever get their film seen otherwise a big horror platform to be able to see those films it's an interesting um stable too it's like what's great about shutter is what's it called when you like um pick certain kinds of things for a certain kind curate? of curate it's yeah. curated like it's curated just like so well is so mm. caringly and so genuinely it's mm. like you know they they don't like they're not going for quantity you know they're not mm -hmm. like hey let's just get every slasher in there that we can or every emo dark movie or whatever they like <laughs> pick movies and they put them out and you know you and they really are they're great at what they do it's it's really fun like we love watching shutter it's crazy. Like yeah. last year for Halloween, there were so many movies they put up. Like I watched this movie from the early eighties called soul survivor. And I was like, I've never heard of this film. And it became one of my favorites. When I watched it, I was like, this is so carnival of souls esque. And they, yeah. they pulled up, they pull up so many amazing films that no one's ever heard of. And it's so cool that they're like bringing light to horror and then doing things like horror noir and all these series that they're bringing light to some really important issues in horror. And I think that that's amazing. And I'm glad you guys get to be a part of it because your movie fits perfectly with the films that are on that service they honor the depth of the horror community because we've mm, been, yes. been you know in the horror community for a while now one of the things that we've uh, noticed in, immediately was like the depth of the kind of intellectual care that the horror community puts into what they watch mm. like they're all avid movie watchers not just horror like drama everything they they have they're and I think Shudder really understands that. They really understand that there's a real, like kind of intellectual depth to the community that they're trying to, uh, they're honoring. Also, I feel like with the horror community, like, like I think I can speak for all of us because we're all a bunch of horror nerds is um, we are the most brutally honest community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will tell you if we hate it, your movie. <laughs> That's true, but uh, you'll also watch it. Yes. Yeah. And that's very important because that means that you care about art. And uh, I, I generally, yes, of course, there's a, there's a, you know, a slice of the horror community that'll be like, I, this is bullshit. I like Friday the Thirteenth, and that's right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I would say like most of the horror community will watch everything and yeah. criticize it, like. Uh, kind of with an open mind and with a, like good criticism like look people have taken a shit on our movies too i don't mind t if someone takes a big shit on our movie as long as i they make a point that i can learn from so that's something it, something yeah something that i noticed from like well there's something that blows my mind every time i look up a shutter movie on just online like for example hellbender is sitting at 97 percent on rotten yeah. tomatoes so it's like it's not like they're putting out yet another like you know 
generic horror movie like mm -hmm. they're saying right. something if it's you know you're getting a 97 percent. you know that's that's not a a whatever number yeah people are loving it <laughs> yeah i think in two, i think in 2022 i think at one point towards the end of the year the top six rated movies and rotten tomatoes were all on shutter which says yeah. a lot <laughs> hey, about um you know this zeitgeist moment where people are just like digging horror but that uh shutter has the great taste to kind of give them to their viewers and then they're all great film i mean i shutter of all the platforms we have it's so easy to just go on there and within a minute be like i'm watching that yes Whereas all the other platforms it could be fucking 20 minutes and i'm like uh, I, don't, I don't have anything to watch boohoo there's like 200 films here and i want nothing i want to see nothing you know my my they watch also have like joe bob who yes uh, is a great movie critic who who turns me on to movies I would never watch. I'll, <laughs> like I'm watching Joe Bob and he'll be, and then he'll go through it. And it's really fun to watch his whole thing. He's then great. He'll, you know, and then we'll be watching this movie that I just would never bring up. And by the end of it, I'm like, yeah, man, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, that's my, really cool. Celebrate my, my watch list on Shudder is ridiculous. And like I add a movie and then Nate will come back and be like, hey, check out this one. Like, damn it. I still have like 20 other ones. <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy, but I think we talked about it a little earlier, but the renaissance of horror is great. I remember uh, I got to see James Wan's Malignant in the theater and here and in a crowded theater. And to see a movie like that, that's such a love letter to a different era of horror films and to hear the audience reaction of like, what the hell did I just sit through? And then people are like, that's the fucking best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing that you can get like big budget things like that. And then like a guy like Robert Eggers, who is making these incredibly nuanced, beautiful horror films like The Witch and The Lighthouse. And it's, it's just such a great time to be a horror lover and that's why we're excited to talk to you guys because you're adding to that scheme wow thank, thank you. you yeah so we're we're excited for your movie and i do want to ask because i know you guys probably get asked the same 15 questions and i try to make it a little different but are there influences that really have like impacted you guys in the way you make films or like whether that be like musicians that impact your art or filmmakers or whoever it may be i realized recently that um I feel like we're influenced by German expressionism. Yeah. And it's not like I can even say I I have great um knowledge of 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 German expressionism, but films like like one of my favorite films is F.W. Murnau's Sunrise, a Song of Two Humans. <clears throat> and it's um it's not even like a horror film. I mean, it's kind of based on someone who wants to who's trying to kill his wife, but um uh, it's it's just so beautiful and there's something about um the black and white and and the uh also i think at that time like pre-world war one and then during and post-world war one that might still be included in 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 that uh, in in that time is uh just the subject matter and the creativity of how they would use um you know they would make things they were very artistic with how they would they would present things and so and i think particularly in our latest film where the devil roams i think we have we the way we use um black and white and spaces and darkness and light is really we had a lot of fun with it hopefully people will enjoy it and so i, I find myself every time i see a, a film from that era um i'm like oh my god that's something that really speaks to me. And I think we subconsciously kind of do that in our films. For me, my biggest influence artistically is definitely the hardcore bands of the 80s and specifically yeah. the, <laughs> the, 
the uh, the uh, record company called SST Records that basically was Black Flag, and mm-hmm. and and it's becoming more and more and more and more important to me the more we are in this world because they in the middle of the '80s when big bands were getting signed for millions of dollars and they all had to go to fancy studios and they had to make big hair metal albums and they had to have big shows and big explosions and ride big buses and have big videos. Black Flag, uh, they and all the other bands of that moment, they drove around in vans or cars and they played for kids like me. And there would be anywhere from three to maybe 300 people in these places. And it was, for me, wonderful art that still is exceptional and they just broke the rules and they found people like me and they didn't follow the rules and that's what I think is important I don't want to follow the rules I I want to continue being as much as possible like Black Flag <laughs> hey hey st- side note I'm seeing Gorilla Biscuit in September so there you go exactly <laughs> NYC hardcore you know? <laughs> no um something that you mentioned was really interesting on on both so for for German expressionism every time I I'm sorry every time I hear German expressionism I think of um Nicholas Cage talking about the cabinet of Dr. Cal- Cal- yeah. Gary. <laughs> I was just telling John I, I, I'm due to watch it um but um and then with the with the hardcore scene there's something to be said about both of those points that you made because uh funny fact i was listening to youth of today the other day and you know i'm jamming to them and then i'm like it's crazy to me that these bands were around in the 80s because people think 80s they think hair metal they think you know rock and roll they think motley Crue. they don't think of like the little DIY punk bands, you know, in New York and LA. And then same thing with with like German expressionism. When people think of like that era, they think, oh, Charlie Chaplin and very safe, you know, art. But then like this subversive art has been happening for as long mm-hmm. as we can remember. And it's just really cool to see that that subversive art is starting to actually come out and be like, hey, we have been doing this for a long time. It's just people are fan- finally catching up to it. So it's like that, like you guys have like DIY punk ethos of mm-hmm. like, we're just going to get it done and we're not going to wait for a fancy record label or a fancy, you know, production company to hand us money. We're just going to get it done the way mm-hmm. that these directors and, you know, DIY punk bands did it in the 80s. And what's super lucky for us is that there's an audience out there that uh, enjoys it like is having fun with us and that's really cool and they it's great it's very lucky well that's i'm sorry go ahead (laughs) no please go ahead oh no i was just gonna say and that's i think that's what connects us so much to these films because as horror fans as punk fans as fans of these of the diy community as we understand that these things are important but we also can have fun with them yeah 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 i mean i i think i'm i don't know how this is going to sound but i really do feel that yeah you can create a perfectly beautiful picture but i really do believe that the soul and intention and um joy and intensity behind an experience making a film seeps through the actual film to the viewer you know more than a beautiful picture just a straight mm-hmm. up beautiful picture does you know, um, I I just firmly believe in believe in that, and and I and I hope that we'll always kind of uh, enjoy doing what we do because 
hopefully everything we do will be a little different from the last, but it's really important that that intention of creativity, you know, seeps through. There's also something- and that's what I oh, want to watch. Yeah. There's also something super comforting about the, like people grooving on some of the things that we're doing because like, I have never liked a lot of big budget music or big budget movies or big budget TV shows. They make me feel lonely. Mm-hmm. I watch them and I feel so lonely because I'm like, holy shit, I just can't relate with this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying there's no judgment to it. It just makes me feel lonely. And what's really nice is that we're finding that we're not alone in some of our thoughts in the things that we want to think and we want to talk about. They're, they're Sometimes they're unpleasant. They're unorthodox. They're Sometimes they're taboo. But there's people out there that want to talk about them with a smile on their face. And that is definitely comforting. I remember um, watching the movie Green Room. And oh, yeah. it was from Smile, like Smile from Eater You Gear. Because I'm like, I've been in that dingy venue. <laughs> yeah. I've been in front of those people flipping me off, telling me to get off the stage. And it's so like, I get it. And I get what that character is going through because I've been there. 100%. That was a really fun movie with a great arm snap. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the visual effects in that, just the gunshots still ring in my head when I think about that movie. They just feel so real. Also, I, de- also dehumanizing Patrick Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> that, I was just going to say, like, the fact that they got him to be in the movie also, the whole time I was, I kept being like, looking at Toby like, they got this guy to be in this fucking movie. <laughs> How did they so, do that? <laughs> that's so awesome. And I think the conversation you guys are having is cool because I think that, that it all leads to connectiveness in art. And a lot of people, such as myself, the reason why Ray and I started doing this is because we both found a lot of joy in others' art. And even like in depressing art, like I, one of my favorite filmmakers <laughs> is David Lynch. I love him. And because... He is such like a against the system. I do whatever the fuck I want and only make what I want. And, but in a way that's like, it's always very personal, even in the most surreal way. And so it's cool to see directors like you guys out there or like John, we just recently talked to that are trying to make this personal art that can connect to others, but is still so fun and engaging to talk about. And so I love that whole conversation. And I think it needs to be had more often because people get so serious about film criticism. It's like, enjoy yourself a little bit you know <laughs> yeah 100 yeah so is it fun it's the paul mccartney test is it fun ex- exactly so i oh, have a question the, oh go ahead ray no i was gonna say and and that shows because like in hellbender i was just gonna circle back to hellbender real quick you have this like seriousness about this movie and this very intimate you know movie and then you have a scene dedicated to the mom and the daughter puking blood <laughs> on each other <laughs> Yeah, um, fun is serious business. <laughs> that was definitely fun. Especially because I didn't tell Zelda that I had put little pieces of inside the blood that I was peeking on her. So she was flipping out because she tasted the, she felt the texture of the rice. Oh. Immediately thought of, of real maggots. And she didn't put that past us. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> No, it's cool to see those fun moments. Another moment in that movie that seems like you guys had a blast is just that whole pool sequence with the drumming. And then just when it blows into chaos, it just looks like that would have been such a fun day to shoot. It was a beautiful day. That was right <laughs> in the beginning of COVID. And 
actually we all did have to stay separate you know that we were all following the eight foot or the 12 foot rule if you look at it where everybody really is even in that circle spread out the right moment that was a really fun day with actually with our neighbors those are our like i'm looking at the house right now that we got at. it was like hey uh can we use your pool oh yeah sure for one of your weird movies yeah and oh do you guys want to be in it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to and come down and yell about it? Oh, yeah. And then she's like, hey, you got us sitting in I'm like, sorry, you know, yeah, you know, you that part wasn't real. Art. <laughs> I also the casting of the the park ranger was really good too. He was so great. He like all the side characters in the movie work so well. Oh, that's Did you great. recognize him from the deeper you dig? He's mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's our, one of our best friends. He helped and raise he our kids. Really <laughs> he was there so was a, he was so good in it. There was a moment in Hellbender that I did want to ask you uh, ask you to about this because I thought it was really cool. Um, the concept that you put that because at first she she reveals that she's a vegetarian and then you find out that she's a vegetarian because you know if she eats meat it'll trigger her powers. But I really love the concept that when she eats the the living beings she gets she harnesses the power through their life and the fear of them dying i love that concept can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah absolutely um that just goes right to witches witches were burned at the stake and persecuted and anybody who's like a witch has been persecuted because people fear them they fear their knowledge they fear their the fact that they don't mind living outside of society the the more somebody fears their power the more they torture them and the more they kill them so we just wanted to turn that around on its head and be like okay well since fear is what builds up a witch's image then we'll just suck that that's what they'll they'll pull their power from that's fascinating because um, we had we we had lots of discussions well how are these girls or how are these ladies going to be powered you know where's their power going to come from and originally they were going to eat babies right <laughs> <laughs> and we tried shooting that and it was a total failure yeah let me tell you. i mean we we got a walmart baby that looked really <laughs> real and uh you know and we tried to eat it and that didn't look so real and it was just like we tried and then we we're like okay the baby things the eating the babies is not gonna fly and then we were like, what's scarier? What what else could, what's scarier than eating babies? And Zelda was like, puppies. And <laughs> like, that is terrible, but that's going to be really difficult. Um, yeah. And then we came up with this. That's awesome. It, it worked perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine the puppies thing. That would have been a mess. Well, <laughs> I loved it. It was like, what's worse than babies? Zelda was like, puppies. And we had a pretty cool scene too for it in the original script. Yes. Like, it was like, yeah, yeah. That's a good scene. one day we're gonna eat some babies and then <laughs> and then and then like after the puppies everyone will hate us and that'll be it well the, the <laughs> concept last. the He's concept a- the concept to me is really cool because i believe it if you if if like i said you said down you tell me oh you know they feed from the fear of their victims i'm like oh yeah that that checks out that makes sense it really does because it works into what we all know about why witches are so powerful because the more people believe in their bullcrap the more they fear those witches you know in the past like that's why the puritans were scared of those ladies because they saw that you know they they fixed a fever or they helped deliver a baby or they they did these things that were outside of the power structure 
of that society. It works. It it works perfectly in the film. And I wanted to ask you guys because I just have fun doing this. But when we do interviews, I want to ask. I know you guys typically work together as a family, but between the both of you, are there any actors that you dream you could work with? That like, if you could cast and it would be super easy and it would work out, that you'd love to have in your film. I know who I want. Go ahead. You might be saying the same person. Go ahead. Uh, Joan Jett. I want Joan Jett. Yeah, Joan Jett. (laughs) Yes, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be great? Yes. Joan Jett with no makeup. Just get her to roll right out of bed and just whatever she looks like, (laughs) roll up on the set. And she would be amazing. That She would be cool. I was going to say, we've been um, that... uh, We've been talking about Patton Oswalt. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he looks like he'd be so much fun. He's been super supportive of our films. And so, um, and I just saw him in a great film called um, uh, uh, I Love My Dad. It destroyed (laughs) me. You talked about that. It was so So good. It's so good. (laughs) And so, and and I like listening to his podcast and I love his voice. So I would love to work with him. I think he would be fun. I think he's such a chameleon. So it would be really cool to work with him. That performance he gave in that movie was really transformative. I love that they used his comedic edge, but gave him a dark side that worked. So it reminded me of uh, when Robin Williams did World's Greatest Dad, Mm. where he kind of had, it's a similar concept uh, where Robin Williams' son kills himself and he essentially like uses his son's uh, suicide to fake these suicide notes to build a memoir for himself because he hated his kid and so it takes a comedic actor like robin williams and puts him in this really deep dark role but that still has that funny edge to it and i think what Patton was doing i mean it's like he's he's essentially catfishing his own child and it's you're laughing but at the same time your heart's just breaking for that kid the entire movie oh yeah oh yeah that's now I got to look out for that film. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually done by the comedian Bobcat Goldthwaite. And it's really, oh, wow. yeah, it's really weird. If you get a chance to see it, it honestly, it was a really subversive movie that I did not know what to expect. And it's phenomenal. It's towards the tail end of Robert Williams' career, which like watching him give that performance, knowing like the mental state he was in at the time, it's it's difficult to watch, but it's a brilliant performance. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a lot more questions for you guys, but we really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. This has been a great conversation. And yeah. I, like I, I've been super excited to talk to you guys because I just use any excuse I can to promote your movie anyway. <laughs> yeah, thanks. This has been a great conversation. I hope we get to do it again. And you guys well, have I some love fun that. insight that we yeah. don't here often or at all in hellbenders that was really cool oh, yeah we, cool. <laughs> we we love to do that and that's why we did this anyway because like we don't consider ourselves experts but we just love movies and we love shining a light on people who love making movies and so that's what we hope to use this for is to give people a platform to talk about their film and we'd love to have you guys back on around the release of your new movie so that we can yes. talk some more about it in detail when we've seen it we will be Absolutely. here and we'll get Zelda to sit with us. And that would be we'll, awesome. Maybe we'll all be together. That'd be pretty cool. That would be we awesome. Would, we would love it. We always joke. I always joke with people when, when we do these, cause I'm like, well, you know, you have Nate who went to film school and he's written some stuff and directed and edited some stuff. And then you have Ray who watches movies. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but it works so well. Important. That's, <laughs> that's so important. Oh, um, no, I was just going to say, um, I did have one, one last question because we don't get to talk to people that are like 
big music people. So um, shout out some of your favorite artists. That's uh, I could go endless. Let's go with what I'm listening to. I'm going to go with what yeah. I'm listening to right now. Right now, what's turning us on and definitely influencing our band and our soundtracks is a band called Pigs, 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 Pigs. Oh, Pigs. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. They're awesome. No, they're awesome. I have checked them out. So we're way big into that right now. Who are you going to throw We've out? We've also been listening to Slow Mosa. Yeah. And I love this like all female band out of Germany called Aptera. Yeah. If you great. Ha- haven't heard them, they're so good. A-P-T-E-R-A. Um, they're they live in Berlin, but they're from like four different countries around the globe. Mm-hmm. They are so fucking cool. Um and uh also oh I love big business. I've been listening to them. Okay. They play often with the Melvins. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I really I really love them. Pigs, pigs, pigs just came out with a uh, with a new album. There's something I don't know. The just, video was that an old video or a new video? The video I showed you called uh, "Go West" was old, but they're they're no that that video was actually new. They have a new video called "Mr. Yeah, Medicine." Medicine. <laughs> have you seen it? No, I haven't. I've oh, only checked out hilarious. a couple of songs. It's hilarious. It's so yeah. great. It's like, oh my god, those guys. Hey, the, the I think the Melvins are coming through my town here pretty soon, so I'll have to. I think they still play with Big Business. I think Big Business and the Melvins are all together right now. Okay, I have to yeah. see if they're coming. I know the Melvins are coming with spotlights, so I'll be pretty stoked to see that. I have to go check it out. Where do you guys live? I'm in Salt Lake City. Oh, cool. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. So Whoa. straight in the straight in the middle of the world. <laughs> Well, I used to. I went to a college just for a year, and then I quit. But I, uh, <laughs> I used to go to a hardcore club called Stashes in in Columbus. Oh, so um, I, I wonder if it's still there. I don't know. I saw the Minutemen and the Circle Jerks and Sam nice. and Black Flag, and there was a for the bigger bands like I saw X and uh, James Brown at a place called. Um, the uh oh shoot i just had the the name of it in my head um oh columbus ohio what was the name of the it was a nice club um was it like the newport musical yeah, the newport yep. thank you yes newport. yeah i go to a lot of shows there a lot of my youth was that we had these two clubs one was called the basement and one was called the donato's basement because it was below a donato's pizza and oh, so you could great. you could cram like 150 people in there and i went to so many sweaty hardcore shows and oh that's great <laughs> yeah so, it was amazing uh the band that was playing this was the 80s so like i'm talking like 85 or 86 was when i was in columbus at going to hardcore shows um the band, the big band from Columbus at that time was a band called Painful Discharge, but I don't know whether they, I don't think they really. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's so cool that you've been through here. Yeah, everybody's like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, Ohio. It's the joke of the internet now, but yeah, I've lived here my whole <laughs> life. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked yeah. it a lot. I liked New, um, w- w- not Newburgh, but um, right next where uh, Newark, Newark, yeah. Ohio. That we would also go to Newark. Yeah. I went to the, uh, so I went to Ohio State and I went to the branch in Newark, Ohio for a while. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, it's really, it's a nice area. I really like it out here. And it reminds me of you guys' movie because it's very peaceful and serene outside. And that's most of my life. Yeah. Beautiful right through there. I love the rolling hills of where you're at. That's great. And we love, we love Utah. We camp a lot in Utah. Oh, well, next time you're in town, let me know. We will. Yeah. 
So do you guys want to uh, let everybody know where they can watch your movies, how to find you guys, uh, all that good stuff? Well, our website is wonderwheelproductions.com. And then Instagram is adams.family.films. Twitter is adams underscore films. Uh, and, and then, then we're, we're on Facebook. On Facebook individually. Yeah. And we love talking to people. I appreciate you guys talking to me. It was so exciting that we could get this set up because I do think it was a really great conversation. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys in the future. Us too. Likewise. Thanks so much for inviting us. Thank today. you so much. Yes. Thanks, guys. Well, that was the interview with John and Toby. I think it went well, Ray. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it went better than well. I, I agree. I feel like, and what you guys didn't see was after the interview, the elongated conversation that John had with us about the hardcore scene, which was wonderful. <laughs> hey, he is one of my people. He's a straight edge hardcore dude. He's one of my people. Yeah. So uh, like they said, uh, I'm going to put all the links down below to where you can follow them, but go check out and support their films. Like even if you get a shutter subscription, watch hellbender on shutter, their movie before that, the deeper you dig is uh, available on Tubi right now. So you can watch it completely free and all their other movies are up on their website to rent through Amazon. Uh, they're just such wonderful people. And why wouldn't you want to support them They're They put out great material. And also their, their, the soundtrack for hellbender. They have a few copies up in Mondo, which we should mm -hmm. probably link that too. So people can check that out. Yes, definitely pick that up because I don't think Ray and I can say enough how incredible the music to that film is. Yes, for sure. It, so, yeah, no, I was just going to mention, I was just going to stress what you're saying to go check out um, the film, check out the soundtrack. I mean, you can you can stream the soundtrack on Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you listen to music, um, because those are songs that they wrote, too. So it's not like the soundtrack is removed from the film, like they worked on those songs and that's their band. So, you know, support that as well. And I thought that was really cool that they they mentioned uh, the possibility of Zelda and Lulu coming on the that next episode fantastic. to be able to talk to all four of them and hear like the collective consciousness behind every project, like just be so great. So, John, Toby, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking that time. And yeah, now I just want like I just want to go jump on and watch all their movies now. Like I, I yeah, I've it's like I've seen two of them, and now I want to watch the rest of their catalog because it's it, every single review. Because I, I thought it was cool that John was talking about even reading their own reviews, but every review on Letterbox, no matter what the review is, everyone says that you can just see the passion in the screenplay, and I think that that's true even just to Hellbender. Like you can tell that it's very personal. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like there is this sense of like um, intimacy in the story that now I have a greater appreciation for the story because I got to hear like the work that they put into it and the, all the, the awesome things that they got to work with. And also the awesome family structure that they have and how it's a very uh, democratic style of filmmaking. I, it makes me appreciate their work even more now. 100% I agree with you. So yeah, so go check out all their material. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's all going to be down below in the description or on the po on the um, the podcast page, wherever you guys are listening. So Ray, without further ado, on to our favorite segment we get to do when the podcast is visual, which is <laughs> soundtrack of the week. Soundtrack Yay! of the week. So Ray, what soundtrack do you have to bring forth to us this week? So I, I, I bring the soundtrack. Um, 
this was totally not planned at all. You know, I, I totally didn't plan for this to happen, but I thought I'd do. The, uh, yeah. Argentos Ar 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 Suspiria. Goblin, baby. Goblin. But look at this. Look at this pretty little thing. I mean, it's not just great music, but but I mean, I mean, look at this thing. God, that's gorgeous. I still need to pick that up because the only uh, from the original Suspiria, the only one that I own is the seven inch that has the oh, theme. Okay. Um, but I need to get a copy of that. Is that Mondo or Waxwork? Uh, Mondo Deathbolts. Oh, it's beautiful. I love the cover so much. And then you have this. And then the crazy like. Oh, my God. I love that. So, and if you want to talk about like one of the most iconic horror scores of all time. Oh yeah, and for those that couldn't see the the variant is like a blue with white splatter, um, and yeah, I I figure you know what I'm gonna honor our boy Nate that's rocking his Suspiria. Which now, Nate, which 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 which? Now Nate, for this totally unplanned segment, what yes. is your score? So what I thought would be great is since we were talking about witches that I could talk about Luca Guadagnino Suspiria. <laughs> The Tom York score, baby. And this has, uh, it's not as fancy on the inside as yours, but it has all these hands. But I will show everybody out there, it's a really pretty pink fretting. Ooh. And it's so funny because, like, to a, for a score to a film, all of the instrumental tracks are very, like, haunting and disturbing. But, like, all the other tracks where Tom York has vocals, it's like, it's a Radiohead B-side. <laughs> <laughs> But it fits perfectly into the movie. I don't want to take away from that, but it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful score. I find myself listening to this over and over again. But what I love is thinking about the Suspiria score you you showed and how drastically different they are. It's really cool. But that's what makes and one even the movies are very tonally different. So it makes sense. Exactly. But um, yeah, we thought with the theme of witches from Hellbender that it would be perfect to double trouble Suspiria. I'm surprised that it wasn't a double trouble the witch score. <laughs> <laughs> we both grabbed our witch scores, our us Mark Corvin boys out here. Um, so yeah, that was our soundtrack of the week. And so Ray and I wanted to announce quickly, there will not be a new episode next week. Because I'm traveling to Minnesota and I don't have any time to edit a podcast. So for two weeks, you can enjoy and revisit this episode uh, where we have this wonderful conversation. But we are going to have an episode the following week. And Ray, would you like to introduce the concept that we're going to be talking about? Yeah, so we're in March. And March is a very special month where we celebrate women. And we celebrate the the great things that women have done for us. Um, you know, if, if you don't believe women have done something, well, a woman probably created you in her womb at the very <laughs> least. <laughs> Unless you were made in a factory. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but but that's for a different month. Yes. Um, but no, no, no. But in all seriousness, like we we want to celebrate just like we had a chance to to celebrate. Um, african-americans and just black people in general in, in the film industry now we want to celebrate women and the amazing things that women have done for us obviously neither of us um identify as women mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we don't want to take the time to appreciate and shout out some phenomenal filmmakers actresses composers that have defined and continue to redefine the filmmaking industry so get ready for an entire episode on anya taylor joy <laughs> 
<laughs> I like to think that there's other talented women. Well, there are, but I just thought that was a funny joke. Okay. Ray, wow, and, I's obsession, Ray and I's obsession with Andy Taylor-Joy knows no bounds. Okay. Wow, Nate. Wow, you have me so pegged. I'm 100%, 100% I do. So we appreciate you guys for listening. As I said, I'm going to beat it to death, but all John and Toby's stuff is going to be linked down below to where you can Check. watch all their films. Check it all out. All of it in music, soundtrack, films, and just, you know what? I'm just going to say, get yourself a Shutter subscription because odds are we might have other Shutter filmmakers coming soon. Yeah. So if you're you're out there, CEO of Shutter, we'll read as many fucking ads as you want us to. We will promote the hell out of your streaming service because guess what? We aren't even paid right now, and I'm in a pair of Shutter sweatpants. <laughs> I am. Fantastic. That's I. I just it's on the leg. The Shutter's on the leg. I kind of wish it was on the ass. Oh, for sure. Pop, pop that Shutter. Yeah. Do so you, go, do you you do you make the D's like clap? Yeah, I do with my non-existent <laughs> ass. No. So Shutter Ray and I talk about it all the time, but like a lot of these directors we've been interviewing, their movies are on Shutter. So at least do a trial. They're like always running free trials. Test it out. I'm gonna tell you, like I did a free trial of Shutter, and within two days I was like, Nah, I'm paying for it. Like I don't even need to finish the trial. I want it so bad. Well, when I signed up for Shutter, I was like, I'm just gonna sign up for the year. <laughs> oh i did the exact same thing because it's it, you they just continuously update the catalog with so many amazing things so definitely check out shutter uh as always you can follow us at the film monsters podcast where we will post uh updates about the episodes and things we have coming up in the future and you can follow ray and i at analog c and my exit unfair for what you can see behind ray his entirety of his record collection mine's not behind me because it's counterintuitive to recording but yeah so follow us we're excited we've got a lot of cool shit planned for this year i can't believe we've already had two amazing interviews in 2023 40 episodes in too yeah i know right we're we've been chugging along i can't wait ray we're gonna have to do something special for the year anniversary episode yeah we do so have a great day everyone thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time Bye.